Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Good day, good day. This is Deacon Tom Burke, and I'm so happy to be here today at St. Joseph's Radio on this beautiful but a little cold uh, St. Louis day. I'm here with uh, my new friend, uh, Dr. Brian Gosser, who is, uh, we're going to talk a little about what his practice is, and we're going to talk about the ups and downs of dealing with people who are great, greatly expectant. How's that? Is that all right to, to Absolutely. use that? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me again. It's well, always thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. And I'm going to call you Dr. You, you were nice enough to let me call you Dr. Dr. Brian, so just call me Tom. It's great. So, okay. so Dr. Brian, uh, uh, we're here today, and, and uh, I, I'm really curious about what I have no knowledge about what your practice is. Could you tell sure. me a little bit about yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm an obstetrician, gynecologist uh, at St. Joseph Obstetrics and Gynecology. Uh, it's it's a Catholic practice, but we, we welcome people people of all faiths. Um, the thing that I appreciate about my practice, and there are others here in St. Louis doing the same thing, uh, we, we are really trying to incorporate our faith into what we actually do practically and how we we live and, and how we care for people. Uh, we, we try and utilize uh, the, the tenets of the Catholic faith uh, in how we practice. Um, we, we don't prescribe artificial contraception. Uh, we don't refer for in vitro fertilization procedures. We try and, and take a more natural approach to infertility, to uh, women's health, uh, you know, through uh, NAPRO technology, things like that, that um, really are different than, than kind of the average OBGYN practice. So when you say they're different, a lot of people might say, well, you know, science is so great. Let's use every bit of science we can to either enhance people's fertile, fertile ability to, to conceive or, or to help them through that process. How would you say the Catholic approach is in its efficacy? Right. You know, I, I think, uh, Tom, technology can do amazing things. But when we talk about faith and morals, we're really talking about what should we do? What ought we do? Uh, is there a limit to what we should be doing with our technology? Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, I think a key example would be something like in vitro fertilization. There's so much that can be done to bring egg and sperm together and, and what can be done there. But are we taking a role that we shouldn't be? You know, are, are we creating embryos that, you know, now we have more ethical problems to deal with because of the technology that we've, we've utilized? Um, you know, the, the Catholic approach, from my understanding, has always been to, to look at, at normal function and try and restore that, uh, to, to try and help the body. Let, let's say, to use fertility as an example, um, how can we see what's broken and, and use natural means to fix it, whether it be through surgery, whether it be through medications? You know, let's restore the body's uh, ability to function normally so that 
fertility can occur naturally uh, through the marital Well, you've been doing this practice for how long? Well, I've been at this current practice for four years, but I've been back here in St. Louis for 16 and and delivering babies for almost 25. So so I think, uh, uh, I guess my question is, if I was going to compare statistics, and I don't know if there is any statistics, but if I was going to compare statistics, would you say the Catholic practice is as effective in, in its uh, ability to help people as a non-Catholic practice? I, I think that, yes, there, there is really some comparison. The real standout is if we can figure out what the problem is and fix it, we've created a scenario where outcomes can be reproducible. You know, to, to use in vitro fertilization as, as an example, you bring egg and sperm together, and if, if you happen to be one of the 30 or 40 percent of of couples that it works for, if you want to have another baby, because you've not found out what was wrong, the only recourse you have is to do the same procedure over again. Whereas, you know, the the Catholic approach and NAPRO technology approach really is if we can figure out what the problem is and correct for that, then we've created a scenario where it's it's much simpler to to repeat a process, you know, for other pregnancies, for example, you know, to if you treat endometriosis, uh, you know, then fertility should be maximized uh, so, after that. For so example. looking at it now with the with the other hand, I'm going to like to turn this sideways a little bit from the patient standpoint. Uh, how do you see it as uh, since your practice is is a faith? based practice, a natural-based practice. How do you see that as a different in not only the good outcomes, but the not-so-good outcomes? Well, I, I think we were able to care for people right where they're at. And, you know, I, I think for me, I'm very upfront about saying, hey, there's some limits that I feel like I have in terms of I don't feel comfortable going beyond a certain point. Uh, and, and many of the patients that come to us feel that same way. They're, they're understanding that, hey, if, if this doesn't work, then, you know, we have other ways that we can have a baby through adoption, you know, those types of things fostering. Sure. Uh, uh, so I, I think it, it gives them a more realistic approach that um, it, it's not this outcome at any, uh, uh, at any cost. You know, they're, they're more realistic as to what they're willing to do uh, to reach a certain outcome. Well, I, just sitting here thinking about it, I, in, my own, in my own life, how I think about the world, I sit there and go, well, isn't it great that there's something else out there? You know, that, that people have a place where they go, well, now I'm going to a place that my faith matches up with the reality of my life. Right. And that's, that's not easy to do all the time. So, so I think that's wonderful. And your, your practice is here in St. Louis? It, it is. You know, the other thing, Tom, that I was thinking as you said that uh, is there's really the, the struggle of our lives is aligning our wills with the will of God. And fertility is one of those aspects of our lives where we don't always get what we want, you know, but we have to say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Uh, and sometimes that means uh, a long journey within fertility. Sometimes that means in uh, dealing with miscarriage or pregnancy loss, which was the case with my wife and I at one point. Uh, You know, it it really just means laying our will down before God and saying, no matter what, we want what you want. Well, 
if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a little bit about that miscarriage kind of idea because because th there's so much hope when somebody somebody discovers uh, that that they're pregnant or or even when they've come to a to to your St. Joseph's Medical Clinic and 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 they go they they try to do what they're what you can help them with and you do help them but then something doesn't go the way they had hoped. You know, what is that like for you in that office setting? Right. It, it's very difficult for patients because the thought is, God, don't you want me to have children? I, I'm open. I'm trying to be pro-life. Uh, and for whatever reason, it, it either isn't happening with infertility or when couples do conceive and, and a miscarriage occurs. We, we know that miscarriage happens roughly about a quarter of the time. Oh, that it's, often? It's huh? much more common. Okay. And, and there are, are couples that struggle with recurrent miscarriage. Uh, and so, you know, the good news is there are some treatments and some uh, investigating that we could do to try and understand whether it be low progesterone, whether it be blood clotting issues, whether, you know, it, it be some type of uh, uterine anomaly. And you know, once so you discover those things, and, and, and of course, you, there's a lot of tests can be done. But once you discover that, you have plans for people. You have, a, you have options for them to consider. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But in, in the in the midst of those losses, uh, you know, there, there's really an opportunity to minister. Uh, I, I know I mentioned my my wife and I had struggled with miscarriage. We, we've been blessed with a number of children. We have eight children, but we've had five miscarriages mixed in there. Uh, and, and they were more towards the end uh, of our fertility journey, three of which were before our son, Tommy. And there was one point where I thought we would never have another baby. And now we have Tommy and Charlie. Uh, but I, it's a weird sort of way of thinking about God's will, but had we not had those losses, I don't know that we would have Tommy because one of those other children would have been uh, in our family, you know, exactly. You know, we, we don't understand the plan of God. It's so much bigger and wider than anything we could imagine. Uh, so we, we have our little tiny pinpoint focus uh, of it, but he sees the entire picture. Well, I, I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about that, if it's all right with you, because because I, I my wife and I have not experienced that. And, and so I, I, I'm curious as to, and everybody's situation is different, of course. Everybody deals with a loss differently, of course. And everybody feels that that loss is so personal to them that it may not be similar to somebody else. But if, but if you're willing to share, I was hoping from a faith standpoint, how you can share what did you and your wife do about that when you when, when you just said it a few minutes ago, hey, I'm cooperating, Lord. I, we, we want to be open to life. We're open to whatever you want to have for us, but aren't we doing what you want? Why, why would you say yes and then no? Right. We, we had very easy pregnancies at the first. Well, I, I should say I, I didn't have an easy pregnancy. My wife had a difficult pregnancy. I guess I did have an easy pregnancy. But when we got to the point where we had these losses, it was so different an experience than what we had had before. We just hadn't even thought about it. And it blindsided us. It uh, took us you know, by storm. We, I, as a doctor, I, I felt so helpless because there was nothing I could do to even help my wife uh, from experiencing this type of loss and, and three in a row. 
what was probably the most difficult part for me was seeing our children suffer because they were so excited about having another baby in the family. Uh, and I remember my son David just crying because he was so sad and so heartbroken that uh, that a new baby wasn't coming uh, after all. What occurred to me, and I think those are the moments that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, um, was our meal prayer. You know, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. You know, we, we often think of our kids as our kids. I like to think of them as mine. But really, they're a gift. And God gives them to me, and they're his, uh, and my job is to love them their lifetime worth. And and for these little ones, we just got a couple of weeks or a month. Uh, in fact, Samuel, I think she was 15 or 16 weeks. Uh, so, but our job is to love them and get them to heaven. And, and I feel like we've succeeded with those. Um, and so now we have these, these others that we're still trying to get to heaven and praying for. And sometimes I want to send them to heaven a little prematurely, but you know, if they drive mom and dad a little crazy, but, uh, but we're doing our best on that. Well, that's good. Well, that's, uh, the Lord is expanding the virtue of patience. patience. Here, I understand. That's yes. great. Well, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how, how have you seen people deal with that, that initial thought that you had, that helpless feeling when um, they're, they believe they're cooperating with God, they, they, they're open to life. Uh, they may have they may have struggled before and, and really wanted to have children and could not conceive, and then they have a have a miscarriage. How 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 do you, how do you counsel people in your office? I know you're it's a limited space and a limited time, but but what does that look like? Right. Well, it's a very unique type of grief, Tom, because. When you lose your grandmother, you know, you remember her recipes, you remember who she was, what she looked like. When you lose a little one or, you know, you, yeah, when you lose a little one like this, I'll speak specifically to miscarriage, uh, it, it's like a vacuum. You don't have anything to hold on to. Many times we don't even know if this was a boy or a girl or what, what would they have enjoyed or who were they, you know, the things about them. So, it's a very difficult and kind of an empty kind of loss because because you don't have anything to hold on to. And, and, and when you're talking about loss, you know, we, we it's very common that we suffer all kinds of losses. But isn't that kind of a unique loss, the loss of a promise? Uh, not not the promise of God that I will always give you your children. We've we talked about that. And, and it's very easy for us to say, your will be done, Lord when everything's going great. Uh, but when things aren't going good, I, I've, I've often said, maybe even on this program before, when the hammer hits your thumb, it's pretty hard to praise God at that moment, right? Yeah. We all know that. So you see people at that spot when the hammer hits the thumb, when they've, when they've just recently come to you and say, I feel something's wrong, or, or, or I know I've just had a miscarriage. What is that? Right. How, how, how's the best... And everybody's different, of course, but what would be a best practice, you would say, if, if, if that happened to one of my relatives? How, how, how would you recommend, based on your experience, that I, I deal with, with my, let's say, my brother or my sister or that happened? Right. I, I think the best thing you can do is acknowledge it. Uh, it, it is so difficult when, in our society, we don't want to say something that would be hurtful. So what we do in response to that is we, we kind of tiptoe around and we don't say anything. 
And that is more obvious to the people that have had a loss than if you said something. I, I think at risk of saying something that, that comes across as you may not know what to say. So just say, hey, I, I heard this happen to you. I'm so sorry. I care about you. This this really hurts all of us and we're suffering with you. You know, acknowledging that this truly was a loss of someone in their family. The world would call this a clump of cells, but we know it's not a clump of cells. So by treating this child with dignity, by acknowledging that that someone lost a child uh, and caring for them appropriately, I, I think that can be really helpful. Shying away from things like, well, thank goodness this happened in the first trimester and you didn't get more attached. Oh, or, it, it, there's a whole litany of things that, that can be hurtful. But but I think just basically saying, I care about you. I, I realize this was a loss uh, and we're going to hold you and, and walk with you through this makes a world of difference for any of us. Well, isn't isn't that uh, kind of how the, the the tension is in our world even today? Is is to as much as we think we're going to be uh, as much as we think we're going to be out there and we're on the internet, and that, it isolates us. As much as we think that that uh, uh, we all have difficulties and we all in the same boat, those difficulties tend to isolate us. And when somebody has something like this happen, I understand that would be a very isolating thing. Uh, just uh, as, we're, as we're a little bit of a break here, I'd like to say you're listening to St. Joseph's Evangelization Radio brought to you here in St. Louis, Missouri at this radio station, stlouis.net. So uh, I hope the people in the technical booth, which I'm not used to doing this, are going to give me a thumbs up that I did okay, and then we'll, then we'll get back into this because because I I'm, I really realize that everybody has that that different problem, but I really like what you just said here. I, I hear that your heart goes out to these people. I hear that that's the best medicine for us in support of them. And then, uh, how uh, what what would you recommend uh, that somebody in their situation do if they find themselves in a, in a miscarriage or a termination of pregnancy that was unwanted? Uh, you know, for, for the people suffering miscarriage, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think going to a, a provider uh, or if continuing with a provider that, that can try and understand what caused that, if there was some type of cause, uh, some causes we, we never get to the bottom of. Uh, and, and some, we can do some investigating uh, to try and prevent future miscarriage from happening. You know, the other thing, Tom, that I was thinking as well is when, when somebody is suffering a loss, even just praying with them and, you know, thanking God for the gift of this child with them, um, acknowledging that, that this baby has changed the world, even in a small way. You know, so, so many of the uh, you know, uh, saints, you know, said, I'll, I'll change the world more in my death than, than in my life. And I, I think a lot of our, our little, uh, these little saints, you know, really do intercede and, and, um, and even just a week, even just the heartbeat, even just a week before, you know, a week since discovering you're pregnant, that life has changed the world. It's changed us, and it's changed the world in the small way. God used it. Uh, just as God has a plan for all of us, he has a plan for for these little ones. Well, you th- thank you so much for sharing. You talked about how you— uh, uh, discovered obviously through through terrible trial here three miscarriages that bring me a total of five you said I think yeah. and uh, 
can without talking about each one specifically, but how how you know that first initial feeling you had of helplessness, and now you've talked about uh, about entering a third party into it. You know, in our marriages we have a third party there. There's God. You know, right. and and we, we think God's helping us to to conceive a child and and to bear and raise a child. When that's interrupted, what what was that like for your faith journey? Um, it was it was very difficult for my wife and I, and and if she were here, I, I know she would have a different perspective, because the the woman has the physical side of it in addition to the emotional side, uh, but but it was very very challenging for our marriage. Uh, we did we didn't know how to support one another. We we tried, you know, we prayed for one another, uh, you know, sometimes. All you can do is just hold one another and and say we're going to get through this somehow with God's help, uh, but but it was very difficult and it can put a lot of strain and stress on any marriage uh, because there can be a lot of finger pointing. You did this, you did that. Something happened, you know. And especially if if it's a a pregnancy that has been like a, an infertility scenario where they've waited a long time to conceive. There's a lot of stress there, a lot of additional stress. Do people feel uh, sometimes that, hey, it's my fault or feel guilt as a result? Absolutely. I, I think the first thing most moms say when they've had a loss is, what did I do to cause this? You know, whether it was, you know, I stood up or I exercised at the gym or I did this or that. And I, I don't see how 99% of that could have caused anything. Um, like a miscarriage. Well, isn't that how uh, we have, di- you know, we look at this from different perspectives all the time, right? But but I, I keep going back to Martha and Mary. You know, you've talked about prayer and being with Jesus as, at the time of, of, of a loss. And, you know, Martha wanted to make everything right. And she felt like it was her responsibility to make everything right. And if it wasn't right, it reflected on who she was. Is that kind of what you're talking about here? Am I listening to you properly? I, I think being a balance of Martha and Mary is a great approach to caring for the woman that's had a miscarriage because there are things that you can do to be very helpful. I, I know of other families that have uh, brought meals over, that have cared for older children just to give mom a little break or mom and dad some time together. Uh, I know of um, you know people bring mass cards over or or whatever. You know, there's a balance that can be struck. And, and I think, too, one thing that's so exciting is that the church has, uh, has these naming rights, these new, newer things in, in the more recent uh, past where they've recognized a need for caring for these little ones and caring for the families that are, that are losing them. Uh, and it's, it's been beautiful to see that develop uh, as well. Well, just to add a little context to what we're talking about, almost a, a, a substantial number of people who are listening to this program might know what we mean when we say Martha and Mary. But to, to set the stage, uh, there was a, 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 a scene in, in uh, the Gospels where Jesus is coming to visit Martha and Mary and Lazarus at their home. And of course, can imagine that he's already got his disciples. So at least there's at least twelve, and probably many, many other people crammed into this little this little home. And there's Martha, okay, and she's trying to make sure that serving and is being done, that there's enough for everybody. Of course, we know that Jesus could have could have created more bread and fish if he wanted. But having said that, having said that, she's got a lot of responsibility. And there it is to set the scene. There's 
Mary. Uh, this isn't the mother of God. This is her sister, Martha's sister. And she's at the feet of Jesus listening to what he has to say. And and uh, I, I, I kind of picture this where Jesus comes back into the kitchen to get a cup of water. But somehow uh, 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 Martha gets Jesus aside and says, Lord, do you not care that I'm burdened with all this uh, serving and Mary isn't doing anything? Tell her, this is an exact quote, but it's close, tell her to come help me. And, and I, I love this part. Jesus turns to her. And can you imagine that I can't put it into my voice as much as it would be imparted to her? But can you imagine the tone of a loving voice that penetrated Martha's heart? And she, he says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled with many things. There is only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but I think it's fairly close. And, and so is that, should we always just be concerned uh, with, with this? When, the, when some tragedy happens, should we, should we always just spend 20 hours a day in adoration? I'm not saying not to, but having said that, we can't. We know we can't. There's a, there's a, there's a physical part of the world that we, that we have to deal with, okay? There is always a Martha part of the world. But remember what Jesus said. He isn't saying you shouldn't do this. He's saying, I understand where you're coming through Think about the choices you're making. And I love it that you talk about the choices that people have and that there are other choices. Uh, absolutely. And, and we know prayer changes things. We believe that with every fiber of our being. It makes a difference. And, you know, so we need to do that. But there are times we're called to act as well. And, and it's, a, it's not an either or for most of us. Maybe for some that, you know, don't, aren't able to get out and they're asking, we talked about this last month with uh, Peter Karutz, you know, what are we called to, to do? You know, some may be called to just be those intercessors and we need them. We desperately need them. But, uh, but there are times when we have to act as well. Well, I, the, the, what I'd like to talk about here for a couple more minutes is since this is a loss, and, and there's all kinds of losses. This is a devastating loss to, to the plans a family has. I, I, I picture rooms already being painted one color or not. I picture, picture people already declaring to all their family, and that's why people a lot of times they wait, right? They wait a little while, and that's prudent. Uh, and, and, and now there's all that... Not only the disappointment they have, but they have to disappoint with the grandparents and disappointed aunts and uncles. And as you said, and I had never thought about this because I hadn't experienced it, but you said, you know, your children were were, were visibly uh, in and some dramatically upset at the at the at, at a miscarriage because you didn't want to withhold it from them. You you let them know. So I want to I, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, and, and some of the time we have, we're going to take a break now, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of the feelings people have for this from a psychological standpoint and some of the things we can talk about that Christ wants to come into that presence and that space and heal us. Thank you very much. We're going to take a little break here to, uh, to uh, acknowledge the people that need to be acknowledged.
Hi, this is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and seven medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V. E-R-S-N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. In Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio, check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. All right, welcome back. Welcome back to St. Joseph's Evangelization Network. My guest today is Dr. Brian Gosser. He is an OBGYN, and, and there's something else there, too, OBGYN and fertilization specialist or something like that. And I don't know all the, all the alphabet that would be behind your name, but certainly it's MD. Yeah. And we've been talking about, about the upsets that, that sometimes occur in our lives when we're trying to have children, uh, when we're dealing with infertility sometimes, when we're dealing with a miscarriage. And, and uh, 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 we're, we're focusing on the fact that, that there's a lot of things that, w- that we may want to do when something terrible happens that aren't necessarily turning us to God. You know, sometimes, uh, like I said earlier, uh, when the hammer hits your thumb, it's pretty t- difficult to praise God. But from that, people can get, uh, have all kinds of emotional responses. And, and I'm going to kind of go down through what I've discovered even in my life with other upsets is that they seem to track a little bit of the, of the grief uh, model that, that's been around for about 30 years, 40 years now. Uh, uh, and one of the things is denial, you know, that is den- uh, and, and in grief, that's really more common, right? Because it's pretty hard not to say, hey, I've, I've, I have had a miscarriage when everybody tells me and my body is telling me that, too. But the things that that uh, this paper that I was reading about this, it's from uh, uh, the University of Washington out in Washington State, written, written about three years ago. They talk about when that denial happens, that people feel shock and numbness, confusion, and oftentimes shut down. Have you seen any of that in your practice? You know, absolutely, Tom. We really have to remember this is a loss. It, it is a loss. And the world would say this was the loss of a clump of cells, so don't worry about it. It was nothing. It wasn't a person. We know that's a bunch of 
phooey. I mean, it's it's because it's a loss of our child. Um, it's so much bigger than than what the world would give credit to, and and so we we need to recognize that. I see it all the time, and and this is probably the the most common stage that I see in the office, because it's it's immediate. We've we've just done an ultrasound to understand what's happening, for example, and and there's no heartbeat, or there was a heartbeat and now there isn't, or you know the baby that we did see last office appointment is not there anymore. Uh, so. Denial is very often that first response. I can't believe this is happening. You know, what did I do to cause this? You know, that that, that is more the initial response. And and the reason why I like talking a little bit about this is that I guess from listening to you, you're letting me know that that's that feeling uh, that we've talked about, the feeling of, of, of numbness or confusion and, and the shock that comes at that point in that denial process that they shouldn't feel bad about that. They shouldn't feel that that's a that's a foreign thing to to occur to them because they that something has happened that they that they were partnering with God with and they and and like you said some people say what did I do wrong? God wouldn't have done anything wrong. So right. what did I do wrong? The uh, the organizations like uh, Project Rachel, those post abortive groups, um, so often are are ones that are doing trauma counseling years later because these feelings that people had were stuffed down because it wasn't acknowledged as as their child as a baby uh they're by, by skipping this step of grieving it, it causes all kinds of problems if it's not dealt with and, I, and i'm if i'm hearing you right that what we can do as as people who love people and in, in this and and we do it not in in a in a in a way to shut ourselves off from dealing with the tragedy, rather to get into it with somebody, to be in their space so that they can can minister to them in a loving way, is to is to pray with them and to pray for them. And right. and sometimes it's sometimes we just can't do anything other than say, "I'll pray for you." And but it's kind of good to get back with them and say, "I want to let you know I've been praying for you." Right. Or I'll I'll pray for you and and well thank you. Can I pray for you? Sure can. Well, let's do it right now. Isn't it great to 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 step into that? It becomes less less uh, uh, clean. It can be messy, right? But people understand the messiness, don't they? Well, God is right there in our messiness, and and if we're truly loving our brothers and sisters or spouses, you know, the we have to jump into the mess sometimes with them and and to let them know it's okay to to feel what you're feeling this isn't this is not wrong this is okay and and we'll get through this together i i think that's the biggest thing that that particularly the women that i see need is just to know that someone is with them and that they're going to walk with them through this process um whether that be a doctor, whether that be their spouse, whether that be a good friend, uh, they don't want to go through it alone. You know, and that's isn't that what what Jesus does he walked with us with too? Him. Yes, he walked with he walked with uh, he walked with his bumbling group of of, uh, of of apostles and disciples who didn't know, and he brought them along right. with such great care. And I think, I thank you so much for for mentioning that. You know, when you enter Jesus into anything, even just the name of Jesus into any type of difficult situation, it becomes better, and and it becomes easier to deal with. It becomes more 
forward thinking instead of inward thinking and outward thinking. And, and think about it just the opposite. Without that, what do we look at? Well, we, we, we lash out at other people. We, we lash out at ourselves and do, do uh, very common. I, I, I see it all the time in my legal practices. People don't even lash out as much as other people as they try to hurt themselves. Sometimes hurting other people is hurting themselves. Okay. Uh, and, and then have you noticed, and, and I'm trying to think of another one of the, 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 the uh, grieving stages, is, is anger. Have you ever noticed that in, in any of your patients? And that comes in with frustration and impatience and you know, resentment and uh, the embarrassment. And, and sometimes they just feel out of control. I, I think moms are often angry at themselves uh, because they, they look at you know, everything that they did, and they micro-evaluate uh, every little small thing that they did leading up to that loss and ask, could this have been what caused this? Uh, it, it's part of the anger, and um, yeah, I think it is part of that, that stage of grief uh, as they're processing. You know, they, they've come to a point where they know this is happening, they're accepting that, that it is happening, but they don't. They don't like it. And so, if somebody was feeling anger, uh, then then what would you say to a patient who came into your office? And you can tell they they feel that frustration, and 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 they may not say I'm frustrated, but you can tell, okay, and how they feel, and and they don't necessarily come out and say I feel uh, angry, but 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 maybe they're impatient. For, for the next, they turn to you and say, now what's the next step? We, I, I, I'm not going to deal with what's happened to me. I want to get to the next step. Or they, they come in and, and they, they're visibly withdrawn because they feel embarrassed. Like, some, like you said, like somehow it's their fault. And since we know that those are totally, totally human feelings, and I can't be a robot. I, it just won't work, right? I am a human. Since it's totally human feelings, uh, have you seen that too? I, I think those are the situations where we have to ask God for an extra measure of his grace to, to help those that are really angry and, and to, to be very gentle with them and, and reassure that we're going to look at every possible thing we can to prevent this from happening again. We don't always understand. I, I think the way I approach it is I, I usually say I'd like to try and do some testing to understand what caused this because I don't want this to happen for you again. And, and when they hear that, it, it helps them to realize that, that we're not adversarial. We're, we're on the same team. Uh, and and I think that dissipates some of their anger. Well, and, and then maybe, and, and I'm just trying to put myself in, those, in, in the shoes that I've not worn, but maybe, you know, they start thinking, I, uh, maybe, like you said, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that or I should and they start doing that and then they get, and, and one of the other things that I think would be very common for somebody like myself who's a problem solver is, well, okay, now, Lord, I, uh, moving forward, I'm going to do this, God, and would you please give me another chance to be a to be another prospective parent or whatever? And that's that's the that's we're kind of going through the stages of grief. One is bargaining, and and for those of us out there who have who have felt that without putting that word bargaining on it, sometimes that, according to this article I read, that can be guilt and shame, and sometimes turning inwardly and blaming themselves or their their uh, spouse. 
and, and, and unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, but I bet you've seen that too. I, I have. You know, the, the thing that I was thinking as you were speaking, Tom, sometimes we just have to, to be frank with, with these patients and, and say, I don't understand God's plan. I really don't. If, if I had my plan and my way, this is what would have happened. But I don't understand. I trust that for some reason God has a plan in this scenario, as difficult as it is. Uh, and and I, I often try and share my own experience. You know, that, that has helped me share the fact that, that Francie and I have had five losses, I think makes me a more credible doctor because I can and go to them and, and say, listen, this is what happened with us. If I hadn't, if we hadn't had those three losses, I don't think we would have Tommy. And and then I think something clicks in them that oh okay you know we don't we don't understand God's plan, but we trust that His plan is the best for us. If we really really believe that that His plan is for the best, even if that involves suffering and, and extreme things, uh, then then somehow we're going to get through that grief with God's help. Has that has that helped you, uh, Doctor Brian? Has that helped you be you know even this terrible things, and I would never wish any, any a miscarriage on anybody or, or difficulty with fertilization. But has that helped you in your spiritual life, the fact that you've gone through this, that you, you've all indicated it helps you in your practice talking to people? And, and I just, I'm not trying to give a, a plug, but, but uh, I've never had a doctor turn to me in the office and say, I feel what you're going on. I, I, I'm going to pray for you, or let's pray together. Uh, I've I, I never had a doctor say God to me. Uh, I take it back. I think my eye doctor may have. But having said that, he didn't say it in the context of me losing my sight. So, right. so uh, what? that's a whole different thing that you're showing me, a whole different way that it's so personal, isn't it? It's such a personal thing. No offense to somebody who's had a knee replacement. I've had surgeries, but not that. But that's not as, a per, not as per, nearly personal. You're in that with them. And I, and I love it so much. I love it so much that you're talking about, about how God enters into that space, that, that terrible space where we, where we might want to bargain with God, where we might feel that shame an embarrassment. We we always have to be reminded we do our little part, and this extreme heavy lifting is done by God. When it comes to something like fertility, fertility is an aspect of our lives where I, I truly believe God has us right where He wants us because we cannot make a soul. You know, we we can get an egg and a sperm in the general vicinity of one another, but we can't put a soul there. You know, that is far above our pay grade. Uh, and so to see to see what I've had the opportunity to see uh, reminds me of that all the time. You know, I, I'm humbled often uh, because I get to see miracles. You know, w- women that were told they would never have babies, to which I just say, ah, dumb doctors, what do they know? You know, I, I laugh. But women that have had babies that were told they would never conceive, that there was a zero chance and and here's a baby, you know, and uh, couples that have had multiple miscarriages who now, after 10 years, are, are having a successful pregnancy. I'm so grateful. And it, it 
it boosts my my own faith uh, to be a part of that because I, I know the little part that I have and it's very small uh, and God's part is is so big and and I'm grateful for these couples because I get to see that and to share that with them their faith is encouraged and and mine is also well I, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the Blessed Mother um, uh, and, and her ability to bring Jesus's healing touch to these situations. I don't know whether you mentioned that in your practice or not. Uh, you're kind of nodding your head yes, so I hope you do, because I have such a great devotion to her, and she's led me through so many difficult things. Uh, what would you say about her participation? Well, my, my practice is St. Joseph, so we, we love the Blessed Mother at, at our practice. Um, Mary always said, do whatever he tells you. You know, that's the, the words that stand out so often in my mind. Do whatever he tells you. Uh, and so the, those guiding words, you know, to, to help us to, to listen as clearly to Christ uh, and to follow what he's asking us to follow, uh, I think really guides us. You know, we, we always appreciate the intercession of the Blessed Mother because you know, whenever we get in a, a tight spot and we, we need a miracle from God, um, between her and, and St. Joseph, I think we have two, two great uh, saints to pray for us. Well, when things difficult have happened in my life, and I can't equate this, I've already said that, but, but the tendency is to shut down. The tendency, I think, sometimes is to... Is, either ignore it or, or, or shut down. And I think that's that, that sacred space, that silent space where we can ask the Blessed Mother's intercession with our Lord Jesus Christ, where we can ask Jesus to come into this. Uh, uh, God didn't betray someone who's had a miscarriage. God didn't betray the promise he has in you uh, for, for being connected to him and in unity with God. God wants that still, even though uh, we know it doesn't work out according to our plan. But I, I just, uh, I know that the, the rosary has been a very big part of my life and, and that meditation on the difficulties that Mary had, you know, just walking through the sorrow, any one of the mysteries, right? Walking through these mysteries and seeing where Mary had to contemplate all these things in her heart and, and, and dwell on them and, and, and reflect them and give them back to God. You know, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Jesus saved her before he was born. And, and he saves us too. And he's always there with us. That, that feeling of, of exaltation must be kind of difficult for a lot of people who have had fertility problems. And that feeling of exaltation about, you know, when we talk about the epiphany that's coming up this, this, this uh, Sunday where we celebrate here in the U.S., where, where we're going to see the three wise men. And they, they come with, the, with that expectation and that wonderment. And, and uh, we still try to keep that wonderment in our lives Difficult to do when we have a tragedy, isn't it? Right. The beautiful thing about suffering, by virtue of divine mercy, God can always bring a greater good out of even the most difficult suffering. I mean, look, look at the cross. Ultimately, the most serious thing, Christ crucified, and yet it is the most thing for us by virtue of divine mercy that unlock the gates of heaven and, and brings us to God, redeems us. Uh, so we can take our own little sufferings. They feel big, but they're, they're little in comparison. Uh, and when we give them to God, 
by divine mercy, we are, are better and stronger as a result. Well, God didn't want, God sent his only begotten son, incarnated into this world because he didn't want us alone. He wanted to show us his love. It's part of our Christological understanding. And so God sent his son so we would not be alone. So in this time of, of could be loneliness, this time of uh, sometimes denial and the things we've talked about, in this time, Jesus says, this was my opportunity to get deeper with you than you've ever thought before. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. You know? But I love it the way you're talking about this, about people coming and they're, they're asking you questions. You know? and, and, and in a way, you're, you're able to be a, a, a lord and a sounding board to them, to give them a little bit of perspective about God. So they're asking, and, and they're seeking. You know? And he says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Have you seen uh, people's, because uh, you see people over a number of years, I guess, in your practice and develop a relationship with them. Have you seen this not only in your life you mentioned, but in some of your patients' life, where their faith became stronger or deeper or more apparent over time. Absolutely. It's it's a wonderful opportunity to journey with many of these families that that have struggled and seen God's faithfulness over the years. Uh, that um, it, It's like Hannah, you know, Hannah in the Old Testament, who felt so alone, who wanted a baby for so long. And, and that favorite little passage, and God remembered Hannah. You know, oh, I, I, I love, love that. that. Thank you. You know, God remembered. You know, and, and just, just to see that longitudinally in people's lives, God doesn't forget us. He, he has a plan. He hasn't, you know, we're just not out there, you know, flapping and, and not. He, he knows everything intimately. Uh, and so, yeah, to, to see people grow in their faith, to see families. I had a family that came in several weeks ago with, um, they just recently had their eighth child, but I had delivered six out of the seven. One, they hadn't made it to the hospital. They had to go to a closer hospital to their house, and I didn't make it to that hospital. But to, to see and just to feel so blessed to have been a part of the start of all these little lives and now to see where they're at. And, and these are God's army. These are uh, his soldiers that are going to go out and pray and love and, um, and serve, uh, serve the church. So it's, it's beautiful to, to see that, like you said. And, and uh, uh, what, would you, what, what would you say to someone, now that we've talked about that trust aspect that's been so great in your life, um, is there any particular prayers, and I know I'm getting very personal with you, and I, I apologize if I'm overstepping my bounds as, as, as an interviewer, but is it, what, what are some of the prayers that you've used in your life to, to develop that greater trust, abandonment, and reliance on the Lord? In, in my own life or yeah, for the lives of patients? Yeah. Well, I, I'd love to hear both. If, yeah. I don't know how much time we have, but I'd love to hear both. Well, I, I don't think you're ever wrong to go with the family rosary, but we, we have really taken to the chaplet of divine mercy as well. Just just to remember that, you know, the, the world is crying out for God's mercy, and we want to to be instruments and vessels of that as well. And, and just, just that simple prayer to ask to be a humble vessel. Yeah. Our Eternal Father, I offer you 
body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? That is beautiful. You know, I, I also can recommend people that, that has been really powerful in my life, certainly of late, is, uh, oh, Jesus, uh, I... I I surrender to you. Take care of everything. You know, yeah, the, the surrender, the, the prayer. surrender prayer, and and yeah. it's got to be tough for people to do that when when something like this happens because they want to. I mean, men, you know, we're fixers. You know, we want to fix it, uh, whatever we can, and and yet it's pretty tough to turn to God and say, "You fix it. You fix it." The problems of this world are are way beyond anything we can do, but it's very accomplishable for God in a millisecond of what he can do, less than that. He can do it instantaneously. But, you know, he, he chooses to use our hands, to use our voices. You know, God could come right down now and with a booming voice, but yet he wants to love the world through us. He, he loved us through the cross. He, you know, he's given us so much uh, that, you know, that we can, so that we can be effective in our ministries. So, so uh, the people out there listening know what we're talking about. I was, I said a little prayer based on the novena of surrender, uh, which you can Google and find real handily. And I do recommend people do that because it is Jesus talking to a priest and saying, "This is how I want to act in your life." So, and I love that part of it. And of course, the divine mercy uh, is really talking about uh, Jesus's interaction with uh, Saint uh, Faustina Kowalska, and uh, and and certainly. Uh, uh, her her life is is a testament to that. The little flowers' life, uh, Saint Teresa Lisieux. The saints really we, that would be a whole other program that we don't have time for. But but and, and I'd love to do that. The, the the way the saints have dealt with disappointment, the way the saints have uh, have overcome things, but not so much because of their efforts, except their effort to get united with Christ. Uh, not so much of their efforts in in this realm, but in the spiritual realm. Uh, that would be something for another program. But I think that's what we've been talking about, don't you think? Absolutely. we got to remember that God can do, can do it all. You know, if we just simply surrender, our hearts surrendered to God. Yeah. Can, can be used. Well, I want again thank you all for being with us here today as we've talked about how God enters into our marriages but enters into every aspect of our marriages, including the, the procreation of children and having the great gift of children in our lives, how sometimes even the disappointments in that can lead us to God. I want to thank again my, my guest, Brian Gosser, here for being with me, and I, and I will say I'll pray with you and I'll pray for you as we go off the air. God thank bless you so much. God bless. Listening to St. Joseph Radio presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S A I N T, josephradio.net. Or call us.
us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank you.